the default image of the micro penis is like particularly heavily contested. Last week we had a guest and any regular listener of the Download Round podcast will know that our guests are few and far between. Mm. Most of the time we consider ourselves to be more than enough to keep the, the energy going. I, I was thought you were going to say we consider ourselves guests. Well, every, exactly. We guess on your phone, you know. Exactly. The point being we consider ourselves experts on all topics, all in sundry, so we don't really need people to guide us through anything. Yeah, blah, but, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I thought just for a laugh, why not have guests on two weeks in a yeah, row? Yeah, back to back. Back to back. Let's try that. So today we wanted to do an episode on Wikipedia, and it just so happens by dint of fate, that one of my very good friends, Richard Cook, is currently writing a book about Wikipedia. So we thought, why not invite a little bit of expertise onto the podcast to learn some of the ins and outs of Wikipedia or the, the seedy underbelly. Yeah, That's what we want to hear That's about. what I'm here the for. The seedy, corrupt, left-wing underbelly <laughs> of Wikipedia. I hope I'm not guiding you too much, but Richard Cook, writer, raconteur, extraordinaire, Welcome to Down Round Podcast. Thank you so much. And you're coming to us live from China. First question. <laughs> Isn't it ironic that someone would be writing a book on the open web and the world's encyclopedia from China? Mm. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> All right. We actually do have more questions. Yeah. That's just the one we have on our page here, but I can improvise. What drew you to write about Wikipedia before we get into the nitty gritty? about everyone's favorite website or the world's sixth favorite website or whatever it is on the Alexa rankings? What made you write a book about Wikipedia? There was this period where it seemed like Wikipedia went from being a joke, being treated quite in a quite pejorative way, mm. to then just being part of the fabric of everyday life. Yeah. And to me, it kind of felt like there was nothing in between. There was no kind of acceptance period or praise or even real understanding of widespread understanding of what it was or where it had come from. It, it kind of went from afterthought to part of the default. And I was really interested in what had happened in between. Totally. Like literally the meme. Oh, did you read that on Wikipedia? Anyone could have written that. It's on Wikipedia to like, no, literally like, oh yeah, I was just reading Wikipedia the other day and this is what it said. I can pinpoint it. Wow. Yeah. 2009. <laughs> it was it was somewhere around there. And it took me a lot longer than that to write about it because I was kind of waiting for someone to write a piece which said, oh, it turned out that Wikipedia was pretty good in the end. It just kind of never arrived, and at least not in the way that I thought it should. So I wrote that and then I was really surprised at how little material there was, especially about the early days of Wikipedia. Mm. It had been studied by academics. Jimmy Wales had been interviewed a lot, mm. um, but there was a lot else that felt missing to me, and I decided to try and go and find some of it. So, yeah, on that point, I remember we were talking very briefly before we were organising this episode. You know, the idea of, like, Wikipedia is kind of like a startup. It's not really thought about in those terms because it's obviously a non-profit organisation, kind of opaque. Jimmy Wales is the founder that everybody tends to know, although they don't. He's not super public in the way that a lot of other tech founders are. Tell us a little bit about like the founding of Wikipedia, at least as you've come to understand it, writing about writing the book. There's a real conceptual struggle with a Silicon Valley story that is not about money. Yeah. There's no sort of way to understand the stakes when the stock price is only over zero, and Jimmy Wales is temperamentally not like a Steve Jobs type. You know, he's not screaming in people's faces. He's not especially larger than life. In a lot of open source movements, you have to have someone who's much more laid back. And there's also a, a weird relationship between the Wikimedia Foundation, which is kind of the, the organization yeah. where if you make a donation, and the Wikipedia community. And that relationship can be quite adversarial you know that the community and the foundation don't always get along so the other guy that was involved in the foundation of wikipedia is the joker to um jimmy wales batman larry <laughs> sanger he comes up a lot now because he thinks 
the whole enterprise is sort of like a corrupt liberal hellhole or whatever it is. So talk about like what was the relationship there between him and, and Jimmy? Have you spoken to both of them? Yeah, I have. And Larry Sanger took quite a long time to to speak with me. He's possibly a little more like the Riddler than, than uh, the Joker. I apologize. But um, he's, he's a very unusual guy. And one of the things which is so fascinating about early Wikipedia, when it was still called Newpedia, is that they had this plan to make a very ambitious online encyclopedia. And Jimmy Wales only hired one guy to do this. And he wasn't a tech guy and he knew nothing about encyclopedias. He was kind of like a PhD grade philosopher. Mm. And that turns out to have been, I think, an inspired decision and a, a highly unusual one. If, if you were going to start an encyclopedia from scratch, I think very few people would have made that choice and it ended up being important. Obviously, the concept of a wiki had been around for a little while. I mean, it's still relatively obscure to a lot of people who probably don't know what a wiki is, but it's sort of like a, a live website that anyone can edit the pages that live on it. It was a concept that predated Wikipedia, but this, obviously, Wikipedia is the one that made it work. Everyone obviously knows the the genesis of um, encyclopedias prior to Wikipedia in that you would pay an absurd amount of money to have the whole leather-bound Encyclopedia Britannica or... You know, you'd buy the early digital CD versions of the Encyclopedia Britannica, and there were a few other rival ones. Sort of a status symbol for you to have your house packed with these leather-bound tomes filled with every bit of information about the world, which was, crucially, all written and curated and fact-checked and what have you by experts. Obviously, the point of Wikipedia was that it was uh, enthusiasts that did it. Was that kind of the vision from the... What, what was the, the root of Jimmy Wales' vision here? Jimmy Wales had what he called an obvious idea, which was for an internet encyclopedia. One of the surprises doing this book is how mature internet encyclopedias were before Wikipedia came along. I think we have a kind of mental picture that, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica was like people riding around on penny farthings making a product that was 200 years old. Yep. And in fact, they had been doing computer stuff for decades mm. and had a full internet edition of Encyclopedia Britannica supported by ads before Wikipedia existed. What they couldn't do is make money with that. And it wasn't Wikipedia that, that killed them. It was Encarta, you know, the Microsoft mm. product, uh, the Microsoft Encyclopedia, which Bill Gates had, took quite a personal interest in. It had an internet component by then as well. And even in Carter found that they couldn't keep it up to date. This was the hard part. Once it's on the internet, there's this attitude like, oh, I should be able to, you know, look up the Indian Ocean tsunami. And Microsoft and Britannica were just like, yep, we'll update it frequently. And it turns out to be almost impossible to do that and pay for it at the same time. Mm. The Wikipedia innovation was obviously it can be completely up to date at any time. It's, it's kind of like a joke now at the point that as soon as something happens, there is some obsessive Wikipedia editor got their finger on their mouse ready to like add the death date for a celebrity, create the Wikipedia page for like some natural disaster that's occurred, completely ready to update things within milliseconds of it occurring, or maybe like ahead of it, <laughs> what was the, there was the, I remember there was, was it you that was telling the story? There was like a major thing that got edited ahead of the a formal announcement and no one to this day knows. Yeah, there are, there are a couple of creepy things like that that tend to be, as far as you can tell, coincidences. There are sort of, you know, I won't, I won't call them ambulance chases, but there are editors who are really primed. When the Queen died, for example, an editor was able to put in the Queen's death dates. They had other people on Wikipedia congratulating them about what a, what a get that was. I mean, that, that's a real prize, right, to be able to put in the Queen's death date. And that's because forever in what the chat section or whatever of Wikipedia, the discussion tab at the top, which I guess if people don't know any page, you can kind of see what all the mods and the editors or whatever have been discussing and editing and there's a history of all the changes. That person's handle will forever be there as the person who made the edit for the Queen's death date, right? That's the prize. That's right, yeah. And and it's a little bit of inside baseball, you know. I, I don't think many people are going to go and, and find out who did that. 
but within the sort of subculture of Wikipedia editing, that, that's a great get. Oh, for sure. Especially if you're in kind of cyber utopia world and it's like Wikipedia is the encyclopedia, which it is right now, right? It's probably it's the, the best encyclopedic resource that we have in if this is going to be around in a thousand years i mean people will still want to know when queen e died and forevermore who was the big dog that had his finger on the mouse yeah that's more important almost than the event itself in my view <laughs> well i guess like we can get into some really kind of philosophical kind of history of history stuff right sure yeah, yeah, yeah. that that indian ocean tsunami example is a real one that people realize like oh this has been this huge event you know where very large numbers of people have died and and there's been huge destruction. And then, you know, three, four years later, they're looking under tsunami on Encarta or under other entries. There's just nothing about it. They haven't updated it. They were already kind of conceding the ground to Wikipedia by that point. Because mm-hmm. like, it's a money thing, but it's also like a labor thing, right? I mean, the Britannica, when it was, whether it was on CD or whether it was in leather bound tomes, had like a really rigorous editorial process that took a long time. Whereas this obviously introduced the logic of kind of Web 2.0. Without, I don't want to talk about that too much because it was a dark time in history. But the you know the <laughs> idea of like a live website that could be edited by regular people contributing their views, mm. and the and the failsafe was that if you put something up that was wrong or biased or stupid or vandalism, there'd be some guy who's made it his entire life to fix your the thing that you just did to the, the internet, and then have that you know scaled to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's just something that like a, a centrally organized encyclopedia would just never be able to do. It's just not possible. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like the Quibi versus TikTok. If you want to pay lots of money for your content, like for this highly produced content, especially in like a short format, you're competing with like a TikTok of the world or whatever, who's getting all their content for free. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it just can't. There's absolutely no way that it can keep up. You mm. know, I've, I've spoken to the people who were working at Britannica at that period. And what would happen is that someone would write them a letter saying there's a mistake in Britannica and that would get filed as I was spending a decade preparing the next edition. Someone would go through all of the letters and fix the mistakes. I mean, that's a laborious, expensive project. And if the edition's already been prepared, it's possible that the mistake might go through anyway. Yeah. Yep. I want to get very quickly back before we get into like in particular, you know, I want to talk about that cultural aspect, but just for clarity. So Wikipedia is obviously funded by people making donations, correct? Yes. But that goes to the Wikimedia or whatever foundation. Not all that money goes to Wikipedia, the the website. No, the running costs are, as far as you can tell, pretty small. Yeah. The amount of money that the Wikipedia foundation has this is there's a kind of controversy about this, right? Where they say oh, it's for hosting costs. The hosting costs seem to be covered. So there are people within the Wikimedia, uh, within the Wikipedia community, who say that the foundation should not solicit for donations at all. Mm. They sometimes get very angry when you know they put ads up saying keep Wikipedia online because they say, hang on, you know, Wikipedia is not going anywhere. We're, we've got the hosting covered. Mm. So. It can be going towards things like fostering Wikipedia's development in the developing world where volunteer editing is much more difficult to do, for example. Mm. But I think the average person who's like donating money to the Wikimedia Foundation still thinks, oh, this is going to the fact checkers. You know, Mm. this is going to Wikipedia. And a lot of it is not. Yeah, right. And is a lot of it going to like uh, woke causes? (laughs) I saw that on Twitter. Is this, can you uh, yeah, confirm look, or deny? <laughs> that's another another controversy, which I'll probably stay out of for now, and about how woke Wikipedia is. You know, this is certainly like the Larry Sanger yeah. line of criticism. The Elon Musk line of criticism is that Wikipedia has gone woke. They tend to say that about a lot of things. <laughs> Larry Sanger has been, has been kind of making a number of criticisms of Wikipedia for a long time. And that's the one that gets him invited on Fox News. Yeah, yeah. totally. That's when you see him. He's, he's on Fox News talking about how, how it has liberal bias. But it's kind of like, you know, people have been alleging that about Wikipedia since day dot, right? Obviously now it's in vogue to say everything is woke and, you know, every, all these institutions are corrupted by wokeness or mm. whatever. But the liberal bias thing on Wikipedia is like George Bush era criticism. Conservapedia is the classic funny example of the guy who tried to make 
the Wikipedia that doesn't have a liberal bias. And it's like comically in the other direction. When you get to dig down to the root of it, a lot of them are like, you go to the page for gay marriage and it's, it's not expressed in purely negative terms <laughs> or whatever. It's like the core of their complaint. It's an old criticism, right? Yeah. I mean, Conservapedia at the moment lists Joe Biden's politics as socialism with Chinese characteristics. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. True. Next. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, of where, the, where the counterweight is. <laughs> Despite that, it's managed to sort of stay out of the culture wars for a really long time. That's another thing which might keep it one of the least worst places on the internet. Well, I guess you can always point people to the discussion page and it's like, well, if you've got a problem, feel free to have this inane debate on this page for the (laughs) next 14 years. With some of the most pedantic people (laughs) on the planet Earth. You know, the floor is yours. You can can walk back the wokeness. You just need to (laughs) put put your face in the trough, you know. Yeah, you just need to win this argument by exhaustion with someone who is who is not going anywhere. <laughs> Can you give us some examples of those arguments, right? Because that is like oh, a classic. Absolutely. <laughs> there's one which I encountered by chance, which is there's this great researcher about Wikipedia. His name is Brian Keegan. And I asked him, you know, did you used to or do you still edit Wikipedia? And he said, yeah, I was, I was quite involved, but I stopped. And we talked a bit about why he stopped. And... um. He was once editing the page for uh, Joseph Priestley, the the British scientist, and he noticed that the picture of Joseph Priestley was on the left-hand side of the article, and usually the pictures are on the right-hand side of the article. And so he moved it over, and someone else moved it back, and that started an edit war which ended up being 60,000 words long. (laughs) Was there any justification for why it should be on the left rather than the, the typical right? I haven't read the justification. Um, it's only 60,000 words. The Brian Keegan, after involvement with this, was like, oh, I seem to be wasting my life. <laughs> I have valuable work to do as an academic. There's ones like Star Trek, The Next Generation, had a gigantic edit war about whether or not there should be a colon between Star Trek and The Next Generation <laughs> or not. There are some huge, huge epic kind of Napoleonic scale edit wars over stuff like that totally this is one of the because i we're now we're getting into the culture conversation which is what's most fascinating to me and i think it also feeds into like this idea of it having a certain kind of bias is that editing wikipedia and being someone who's very militant about correcting edits getting into the talk pages invites a certain kind of person who is maybe different to the sort of person you would get to edit a traditional encyclopedia there would certainly be crossover but it, it invites a certain kind of pedantic weirdness and a very singular focus, which is in some ways probably great for what Wikipedia is and in some ways maybe creates natural issues, right? Mm. Have you met many super editors or spoken to many super editors? Yeah, I have. To and describe um, their vibe. <laughs> so the, the vibe ranges, right? And James is he's really dialed into one of the things at the core of Wikipedia and it's so much at the core of it. I haven't quite figured out how to talk about it yet. Mm. Someone very senior in Wikipedia once said to me, Wikipedia is a city built by Asperger's. <laughs> and uh, that turns out to be like wildly true. But there are also these kind of distinct phases. And I know you guys talk about in shitification a lot, why a site is good and then it goes to seed. And my kind of working theory about one of the reasons why Wikipedia has not been inshitified is that in the early days it attracts people who are creative and pedantic. And then in the second phase, it attracts people who are pedantic and attracted to rules. Mm, yeah. And yeah. those people form almost this kind of like Asperger's honor guard <laughs> of maintaining Wikipedia yeah. as it is. Which is like the downfall of forums but in this case, it's a win condition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you're fighting a rear guard on behalf of a pretty mature encyclopedia project, yes, it means it plateaus. Yes, it means that people trying to contribute to it in a positive way find you very difficult to deal with, but it, it does maintain it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what spurs these people on? Some of them just, it just does seem to be pathology. Like, <laughs> especially at sort of admin level, if you have Wikipedia meetups, for example, admins are rarely, are rarely there at in-person events. That's tough. They, they seem to be following quite a different impulse than like writing an encyclopedia. 
and I know that some Wikipedia local chapters, like Wikipedia Poland, actually brought in psychologists to try and get admins to chill out a bit. And sorry, explain what an admin does versus an editor. So an admin is is kind of, they're the people who can make decisions about ending something like an edit war. Mm. You know, when people have a, a months-long argument about whether or not Chopin was French or Polish, they're the ones who come in at the end of it and make a determination. Think about that power, if only. There's something about the pettiness of the power and the fact that you can exercise it from the comfort of your own home mm. that to some people is very, very attractive. I mean, it's playing God. Yeah, or playing a demigod or playing a lawyer. People talk about wiki lawyering a lot. Yeah, right. And it does become a bit like being... You know, once you know the the policies, it's a bit like being a constitutional lawyer. But how do you become an admin? Because these are unpaid roles, correct? Yes. And how um, do you become an admin? They are elected, and the election process is a kind of n- notorious star chamber in which all of your sins that you've ever committed on, it's very unpleasant. You know, people go through all of your history on Wikipedia and find all the bad things that you've done. And put it in front of you and say, why did you do this? And, you know, how dare you think you could be an admin? So, so a lot of people pull back from that process. But, but sorry, so um, you like self-nominate, like, I would like to be an admin. And the party of people um, who are kind of who are going through like your entire edit history, who are they? They are usually other admins. Right. Um, other people can contribute as well. But, yeah, I mean, you are you have extraordinarily pedantic people going through your online life and sometimes your offline life as well and saying why you shouldn't be an admin it sucks damn running the gauntlet but at the same time the prize is so great right the the prize is this unbelievable glory you're a sort of a key a keeper of the keys of human knowledge yeah there's definitely an archetype It, it becomes almost a little bit of an inside joke if you meet someone who has made a very large number of edits to wikipedia the next question is kind of then when were you banned? Uh-huh. Because it does seem that there's this life cycle where people get over-invested and then they get over-excited and then they, they have to sometimes be forcibly removed from the project. And wow. some of those people, if they have made Wikipedia kind of their, their reason, their life's work in some cases, yeah, that is a full-blown existential crisis. Yeah, of course it would be. Sorry, I know, like, I don't know if it's because you're in China or what, but, like, first we have the struggle sessions, then we have the kind of dedicating your life's cause and then being found to basically be, like, unworthy. Anyway, sorry, there's just all these kind of crazy parallels going in my head. I need to watch what I say. I think the more natural parallel, and this is not a coincidence and not just saying something I'm saying because I'm in China, <laughs> um, is, uh, is role-playing games. Yeah, It's kind of like grinding to level up. In a way. Yeah. Yep. Um, number go up. Yet another fundamental tenet of down round yeah, is that they, people like to see number go up. <laughs> I'd love to see number go up. Uh, number go up on Wikipedia is uh, edit count. Yep. Yeah. This is one of the theories about why people started deleting more than they were writing because deletions were an easy way to pump your edit count. Right. And when, when we're talking deletion, like page deletion or just like a few words here and there? Few words, few typos. Some of the people with the highest edit counts have mainly done typos, yep. and some have also contributed very large amounts of material. I, I've spoken to those guys, and they are fascinating. There was one that kind of I think it went viral on Twitter recently, but it was a guy. There was some particular grammatical construction that he didn't like, or thought was technically incorrect, <laughs> and like you know. But he made it his life's mission to sort of exercise it from Wikipedia, yeah. and he'd made some something like hundreds of thousands of edits over. You know, however many years, just to get rid of this this turn of phrase that he hated. You have to respect that. His name is Brian Henderson. Okay, so you do know this guy. The grammatical error is comprised of. Comprised of, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't think it's a grammatical error, though. <laughs> Some people who are sort of fresh to the project have kind of gone, oh, I'm going to put this comprised of back in, and a more senior <laughs> editor will just come in and say, look, we know it may not be wrong, just stay away, okay? <laughs> just just stay away from giraffe data. They just let him do his thing. Um, uh, one ground grammarian called that the pedant's veto, uh, which is a nice way to put it. Uh-huh. They, they kind of know it's just by exhaustion he's going to do that. He's done it across 5 million articles. 
He's not going to stop doing it. They just let him go. I, I think that's beautiful. I think I think it's, I think yeah. it's nice that the world encyclopedia like has that kind of guy. Well, I mean, it's a little snapshot of I guess the world that we live in, right? Just built into the. I guess we're getting into discourse analysis here, which again <laughs> I'd like to steer well clear of. But there's a bit of humanity in the edits themselves. Oh, totally. No, like I, I, I think that's also reflected. And it's another thing I'm sure has come up in your your research a lot. The nature of Wikipedia consumption, and anyone who's listening to Downrun will obviously know. There are two ways you can use it. One is you want to find out something in particular. So you go to the page and you read it or you read the section of the page that's relevant to you. Or you sort of like start somewhere and just click around and eventually you're like reading list of kings of Bohemia from the 16th century mm. and you're clicking on those guys and reading a bit of whatever about them. But like in terms of reflecting society, you quickly learn there are objectively relatively important topics that are scarcely covered and there are subjects which are objectively not super important like let's say like a very detailed synopsis of all 900 episodes of some obscure anime <laughs> that is covered in excruciating detail whereas some like 19th century french scientists who who's super important gets two paragraphs that and gets stubbed in the in the wikipedia parlance i assume that's something you've encountered fairly often in yeah the there's even a term for when you compare two of these articles. So uh, a famous example is when you compare the article for Knight with the article for Jedi Knight. <laughs> and the result uh, is called a wiki groan. And people have put together very funny lists of wiki groans of, of which has the dedication and which doesn't. Uh, that, that's kind of probably not as, as extreme as it used to be, um, but it still definitely shows you what people prize versus what they might claim for prize because there are some classic examples you go back and read and realize that someone a discerning editor has been like well we probably don't need forty thousand of these words about the loch ness monster mm. like we can probably cut that back for this creature that's probably not real <laughs> i know that cryptids are a, are a great favorite of yours oh, totally. James. absolutely there is a guy who, who specialises, because, you know, people don't just contribute words to Wikipedia, they contribute photos, yep. um, they contribute drawings, and there is a guy who specialises in drawing all the pictures of the cryptids. Yep, of Bigfoot and so on. Yeah, that you see on Wikipedia. He, he's sort of dedicated himself to that. So and that, I think he's quite talented. I think that's, no, that's, that's noble work. If they're not going to find a photo of it, because it's not real, they may as well get it. Speaking of... Um, contributions of uh, photographs. One of the great subcultures on Wikipedia is people who really want their genitals to be the photo on like the page for penis or the page for whatever. It must be theirs. And there's like a weird little edit war of people who like fight to upload to be the canonical picture of a penis on Wikipedia. This is a bit of a spoiler, but you know, seeing it's down round. <laughs> on Wikimedia Commons especially, it has... It has people who are exhibitionists who have realised that they can upload pictures of themselves in all sorts of situations, largely uncensored, and that other people will be forced to look at them. And there's all sorts of images where being the default image is, like, highly contested, but the default image of the micropenis is, like, particularly heavily contested. So I reached out to the guy who is, like, the incumbent <laughs> micropenis holder on Wikimedia Commons, I made a bit of a bit of a mistake uh, when I when I reached out to him, which is that hey man, huge dick. <laughs> I, I did an email interview, and I and I usually avoid email interviews, and he just sent me a very very large number of unsolicited photos of his micro right. like a very large number. Well, look, you I'm still you, hearing from him now. You left the gates open to a to a committed exhibitionist you've given him an yeah. avenue of communication and i asked him one of the first questions i asked him was do you fulfill the diagnostic like the medical diagnostic criteria for having a micro penis and that was just catnip <laughs> of course i do <laughs> well I, again i'm glad that uh people have an outlet and then when you have as we've said regardless of the yes it's like one of the central repositories of human information mm -hmm. now most popular online encyclopedia one of the most popular websites on the internet but it, because it is that it's also just going to be like a platform 
like a social media platform. It's like people are going to exercise like their weird yeah. so- social impulses on there as well as the desire to like share information. Oh, yeah. And, and obviously like some of those pathologies make themselves known on like the discussion pages. But like it probably also brings us to like vested interest to a certain extent. I mean, I know that, you know, from again, because SEO fucking ruins everything from an SEO perspective, obviously Wikipedia is seen as like high authority domain. So if you can get Wikipedia to link to your website and the references or whatever, blah, 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 that boosts the SEO of your personal website. And so people are constantly doing that as well as I'm sure nation states like what have you kind of come across maybe some of the most obvious or crazy examples of like some vested interest attempting to get, I guess, what we consider truth to be uh, to their liking? That's a great question. And one of the surprises to me, obviously, there's a lot of stuff which goes on in what I've come to think of. It's kind of dark Wikipedia, um, you know, people like marketing firms and security services manipulating it. But I'm kind of surprised there isn't more of it, mm. to be honest. You know, the, the amount of like sort of marketing people who leave it alone is, is really surprising. Some of them got busted early on and they, they seem to have kind of taken a step back and, and let it do its own thing. I guess there is that like big banner that goes across certain pages being like, we think that this page was basically edited by commercial interests or whatever, which isn't a good look. Yeah. That's right. And, and one of Wikipedia's biggest critics tried to do a startup for paid editing of Wikipedia where, you know, you, you would get people to edit pages on behalf of your company. That does go on. It it's definitely still happens. And security services do it as well. Like there's definitely governmental and security service manipulation of Wikipedia. Yep. It tends to not stick, as far as I can tell, on English Wikipedia because it's so big. Um, but there are definitely smaller language uh, Wikipedia is where the manipulation is easier. Mm. And there are some nasty examples where, say, like Serbo-Croatian Wikipedia was pretty much, large parts of it were pretty much controlled by fascists for a significant period of time. Yeah, right. The Polish government has done stuff where they've sort of put revisionist history either with people affiliated with them or directly and that's stuck around for a while as well. So it does happen for sure. Yeah, I was I was actually wondering about the non-English Wikipedia universe because obviously English Wikipedia is the largest edition and it's the one that gets spoken about the most, gets clearly the most attention and it's most central to sort of like the English language culture, I guess you could say. The Yeah, like the non-English Wikipedias, and so does the culture any different, the way they operate, the way that people think about them in their native countries? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, even just as an Australian, English Wikipedia about Australian topics, they seem significantly less accurate to me yep. than on American or UK topics yep. just because there's so many fewer people who can pick up those errors. There are some cultures which seem to be, like, really natural fits for Wikipedia, especially small kind of languages like Basque and Hebrew have very, very active Wikipedias. And then some very big language groups like Hindi is a a well-known example. The number of Hindi speakers versus the number of Hindi Wikipedia editors, there's a huge discrepancy. At one stage, you know, there was a billion Hindi speakers and something like 12 active editors in Hindi. Yeah, wow. Because Hindi speakers also, if they could edit Wikipedia, usually could speak English. So they were just editing in English instead. Mm. So sort of the big question, which I think drives drives some of the the book as well, and the way I like to think about Wikipedia as well. We've sort of elaborated a lot of its its problems, you know, but whether it's biased, whether it's controlled by security state apparatuses, which is sort of like the the left wing version of the it's too woke critique. That's like <laughs> that side of politics uh, argument instead, and you know the various other problems with it. But at the same time, it's also a utopian internet project. The only one, I think. The literal, probably the, the only, only one. one that survived in the f- utopian form that I can think of, other than maybe you could say like SMTP or some shit like that. Uh, yeah, so like, <laughs> so there are, yeah, there are like protocol level technologies that have probably worked pretty well. Mm. But, but as far in, as consumer products. A product that, you, that the average person can use and like, but mostly lives up to or even exceeds in some regards what its original sort of mission was. It hasn't gone through, as you said, 
eloquently sort of like the inshittification that social media has gone through, where it's sort of like hit the limits of its capabilities and has like regressed. Into- and, and is, I mean, I think one of the things with inshittification is like the experience of the user is basically intentionally worse due to like commercialization, right? Like a product gets intentionally made worse just, just in order to like, you know, give vested interest money. Yeah. Just like, well, Wikipedia, when it shows me that nasty banner, which I'm now learning is, is unnecessary. Unbelievable to hear that. But like as a, as a utopian project, it seems to have, have gone relatively well. And I think that's like something worth dwelling on. Is, is that from what you've experienced in reading about it, researching it and speaking to the, the primary people, is that your takeaway as well? Yeah. I mean, utopian might be a stretch. Sure. But a guy I was speaking to just last week said, Wikipedia is terrible. Mm-hmm. It, it's just the best version of non-terrible that we have. There's this incredible moment around 2006 where the Wikimedia Foundation moves from St. Petersburg, Florida to San Francisco and they're kind of arriving in triumph. Like they they have what everybody else wants. You know, they have all this attention, this huge audience and they are going there expecting to be the vanguard of the civic internet, like the non-profit internet. They're, they're expecting all these other organizations like Wikipedia, perhaps even bigger than Wikipedia. Like Linux and all yeah. this shit. At this stage, it's, you know, they're, the couch surfing is not the best example, but that's the, that's the kind of thing they're, they're thinking of. You know, there might be kind of people's internet providers. There might be uh-huh. not-for-profit social media services, which can, you know, perform functions better than Facebook or whatever. And they very quickly realize that this is it. You know, there's nobody else coming. And they have all these meetings with people in Silicon Valley where they're going to them for funding or partnerships. And they just can't understand Wikipedia at all. You know, they're just like, why do you not monetize this? Why not get rid of your not-for-profit status and become a billion-dollar company? Mm. And all the traffic just starts heading the other way. And it's kind of never really corrected. It's still the only thing like it and the more you look at it the more you realize oh even small parts of its lessons are very difficult to apply elsewhere yeah now that you've you've spoken to the man himself jimmy wales what has his view kind of like evolved on it over the over the years like where where is his head at right now in terms of wikipedia versus when he started it you know two decades ago look he's still he's still thinking about it and he has He's worked on other projects. Some of them have gone well, some of them not so well. One interesting thing he said to me and he said elsewhere is that Wikipedia was a product of the dot-com crash. Mm. The, the fact that they couldn't get funding, the fact that they couldn't hire mods meant that they had to do something radically different with their model. He said if they just had the, the kind of precursor Wikipedia, which is called Newpedia, and it got a bunch of money, they would have just hired some moderators and it would have become another kind of becalmed internet encyclopedia like all the rest. Yep. He has tried to apply some of Wikipedia's lessons to stuff like content moderation on social media. Like everybody else, he hasn't really been able to make it work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a fascinating guy because he often gets talked about as sort of like the ironic thing that he's sort of like a huge, or at least was, or to whatever extent, maybe you can had some clarity, but like he was like a big Ayn Rand objectivist libertarian type. And I remember like he was he was in like adult content stuff before earlier in his career. He was doing some work with adult website. Is that right? Yeah. So he realized that search was going to be big online, pre-Google. And the idea behind search then was to do web rings. Um, you know, you would just have a bunch of sites like each other that yep. people could click through to. Yeah, the, and, the Yahoo model. The Yahoo model. They tried everything, and the only way that they could get advertising was on adult content. Yeah, It was the only thing that consistently delivered the audience and the ad dollars. So while kind of treading water, they ran that company called Bomus, and at the same time had a one-employee internet encyclopedia concern called Newpedia. So yeah. it's a very, you know, really bizarre workplace that there are people there you know sort of ringing up porn companies to get the ad buys while there's one guy beavering away in the corner trying to persuade academics to write articles for free 
for what they say is going to be the biggest encyclopedia in human history. It's really mind-blowing that it kind of worked. Two roads to version of wood for Mr. Jimmy Wales. He could have been the porn kingpin. Instead, he chose to build a beautiful website for us to read facts on, and I love that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, obviously, like in hindsight, why the advertising model wouldn't work, right? And to the point where like Yahoo Answers and Quora or whatever in some ways is kind of like Wikipedia, just like what it would look like if there were ads, which is a fucking mess, right? That doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but Well, I always find it ironic that, you know, over the last few years, we've had this whole uh, crypto-driven and aligned movement where it's like Web3, which obviously no one talks about anymore. But there was an ask, there was a court, there was sort of a kernel in there that, was maybe interesting and what people wanted to do. But this whole idea of like online ownership, own what you create, get compensated for what you create. Mm. Imagine Wikipedia, but every time someone reads your article that you've like replaced fucking less with fewer or whatever, (laughs) you get like 0.01 like wiki bucks or whatever. (laughs) Totally. There was this sort of idea where it's like, wow, you can get compensated. You can own the piece of the internet of the value you create. And then obviously that hasn't planned out, paid out at least yet and maybe never. But all the while, you have Wikipedia operating here where nobody's getting compensated. People are creating, they're producing unbelievable amounts of content purely for, I was going to say glory, and maybe it's glory for some of them. And for others, it's just this weird, maybe slightly perverted <laughs> desire. <laughs> that, like the, the compensation is completely inherent to what they're doing on the platform. They just want to be, they want to have the they power. They want to build, man. Humans they want to are build, builders. Exactly, and not be compensated. It's so funny that you see these two conversations happening at the same time. Yeah, I mean, Larry Sanger actually was involved in a startup which tried to put an encyclopedia on the blockchain. Oh, it so tried every, to have every, some... Every, everypedia? Yeah, it, it's some sort of encyclopedia coin slash blockchain thing which which didn't pan out. And Shocking. It's when, when we talk about glory, I mean, most of these people are editing under pseudonyms, right? True, I yeah. Mean, I think even the guy who put in the Queen's death edit, we don't know his real name. And, yeah, it, it is this kind of like the microtransaction version versus the I just want to collaborate and have fun. Uh, I'm just going to do this. Almost a sort of jigsaw puzzle feeling when you are editing Wikipedia. Mm. It does seem like that idea of contribution is mm. for uncompensated contribution is rarer and rarer. Yeah, to feel part of something bigger. To leave a legacy yeah, after you die. Yep. And for me, it's uh, 9,000 words of edits on the Full Metal Alchemist page. <laughs> Richard, have you made any Wikipedia edits? Be honest. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I mean, I've edited under my own name a little bit uh, ages ago. And I also um, did quite a bit of editing for research, you know, to try and understand what it looks like under the hood. And I enjoyed it, but it's, it's not something where I find myself sort of compelled to do it all the time. Mm. It requires a special kind of person who, who you know, I, I, I do respect, even if I can never fully understand what's going on under, under their hood, so to speak. Mm. Well, look, to wrap us up, was there anything else that you've discovered in the course of your writing your book? I don't want to say it directly, but, you know, something that's sort of adjacent to the micropenis story you just told <laughs> that we would find amusing. <laughs> that you've you've experienced in in researching your your book yeah um i think there's this kind of uh cohort of people who become obsessed with particular topics often to do with countries yeah. that they have nothing to do with uh, i was just writing about them yesterday the first guy who made a million edits on wikipedia a million um, edits jesus mm. fucking christ <laughs> The, the current world champ has made 5 million. 5 million um, edits. And that's almost double the next person down. But this guy's name is, is Justin Anthony Knapp. I've spoken to him a bit. And I enjoy speaking to him a lot. And he became obsessed. He can't have kids. He doesn't have kids currently as far as I know. Um, <laughs> no one's making he, a million just, plus edits with kids. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. He's, he's wound things back a bit since then. And he was obsessed with the Western Sahara. You know, it's this disputed territory, which may or may not be in Morocco. And for some reason, he just, he thought the world had had left Western Sahara behind. So he started to edit about Western Sahara a lot and put Western Sahara and independent stuff in the email signatures of of his personal email 
And at the same time, when he was making a lot of these edits, he was severely depressed. You know, he was <laughs> okay. living in his parents' place in Indianapolis. He was sort of had part-time work as a pizza delivery guy. Uh, he was watching pirated episodes of Lost. And, and you know, he's, he's, uh, he's got a lot to offer. You know, he's very intelligent. He's, he's very humane. And he sort of described this process of, like, creating online the idealistic version of himself that had failed to actualize in the mm. real world. Mm. And he got so invested in Western Sahara that he got to know the Western Saharan independence activists and was invited to New York to address the UN on behalf of them. And so he gave a speech uh, to the UN on uh, about Western Saharan independence and then went back to Indianapolis and, and Tibet. That's insane. That is insane. I, I mean, I, yeah. I respect, like, don't get me wrong. I respect people creating for, like, creation's sake and i do think that we all have innately that thing within us and i'm sure you you have it with certain chapters of the book you've written and certainly when the book is done you know you'll look back at that and be super proud of the work you've put in um james likewise with your fantastic articles um but you know point being we create things like people knit they do things you know and we're proud of those things we feel like we've actually freaking accomplished something as opposed to like you know a lot of the time in our day-to-day life not really knowing what we're contributing to and but doing it because the paycheck keeps rolling in and it doesn't really matter what happens and what doesn't. You know, you actually have an impact by leaving, changing those words or like writing this line here or there or correcting this thing and that's lasting and that, that has value. So I personally do have a lot of respect uh, for these people. I don't know how I'm trying to run the numbers for like a million edits. <laughs> I don't know how you do like a thousand a day or whatever. Like you I shouldn't just... be doing that much creation. Is what you're saying? <laughs> like, after your after your inspiring speech just now, there is a ceiling <laughs> to how much creation. You've been <laughs> well, it's like okay, <laughs> if someone if if you go over to like your friend's house and like they've got a new partner or whatever, and it's like I actually does a bit of painting. Here are the kind of the last five I've done over the last year. And it's like wow, that's great. Here are the last five thousand I've done <laughs> over the last month. It's you know it's it's like where it's different. There's diminishing returns. I totally get that. <laughs> I was told about a guy who wrote 6,000 very high quality articles about geology. Mm. And then he got a girlfriend and immediately stopped <laughs> editing Wikipedia forever. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, it speaks for itself, I think. Yeah, I told, I told someone that and, and uh, they said uh, he got his rocks off. Uh, which is nice. Oh, no, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I assume there's like a strategy meeting somewhere in Wikimedia uh, HQ where they've got a, a they've got a risk analysis up on the board. Number one risk is girlfriends. Yeah. If no, I, I have heard. I haven't been able to confirm, but I have heard that something like that actually did happen. <laughs> but they were looking at risks of the project, and one of them was was essentially people having personal relationships. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. To end with, though, like we like to talk about the powers that be, you know, the invisible hand, of course. Am I on the right podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I, Is I this talk about, like, yeah, exactly. What are the conversations they're having at the foundation? Like, what, what are they talking about day to day? Like, what worries them? Blah, blah, blah. AI. Yeah. AI definitely worries them. Because presumably every AI has just scraped the shit out of Wikipedia. Totally, yeah. Wikipedia is the corpus. Or training AI. Mm. So what happens then if you reintroduce AI to write Wikipedia? You can end up with this kind of informational grey goo scenario that people are worried about. Mm. It's a powerful tool, but uh, a dangerous one as well. They talk a lot about um, like movement stuff in how do you represent the global majority or the global south in Wikipedia? Um, it's very interesting and difficult. They talk about how fragile Wikipedia is, that, you know, they're, they're very conscious of the fact that it kind of hasn't been inshittified and that that, when it does happen, tends to happen very quickly. Mm. And they talk about a lot of nerdy, very technical stuff around copyright law and freedom of panorama and legal risk. What tends to keep them up at night is risk to individual Wikipedia editors. That, that came up over and over again. Interesting. You know, People who might go to jail or worse for editing Wikipedia, yep. they, they really worry about them, but also have, have a kind of policy of just respecting people 
recognizing their own risk profile. Because, mm. you know, there was just a story the other day about the, the Saudi guy who went, went to prison for ages for tweeting about Mohammed bin Salman or whatever. Mm. And you'd, you'd wonder about what the same sort of thing happening to like a Wikipedia editor writing something um, negative about Neom or the line, which we would never do, um, no. just to be clear. We're, we're radically positive about the line and, and Neom. But yeah, no, I can see why that would be a, that would be a life concern. But yeah, also the their desire to sort of remain above the fray on that kind of thing too. Yeah, for sure. And also I'd uh, like to add that we're obviously very positive about President Xi's continuation of lifting people out of poverty. Well, so am I. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up <laughs> uh, because I'm very happy about it. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much, Richard. This has been fantastic. I think it's been an awesome look under the hood of, of Wikipedia and the, the, the strange people that make it work. Yeah, we'll have to get you on when the book drops or at least put some kind of affiliate link if we can have like 20% kickbacks or something 50% like that. 50% is sort of our usual rate, but I don't know, we'll, see, we'll, figure, we'll figure something out. So have so, you got a title for the book yet? Yeah. I had a title. Um, it I was guess the publishers will dick with it. Yeah, I'm sure they will. It was going to be called Hello World, which were the first words written on Wikipedia. Mm. Yep. But when I spoke to Jimmy Wales, he couldn't remember exactly the syntax of how he had written it. And also there's another book called Hello World. And then I decided I didn't like it anyway. Mm-hmm. It might be called Any Fool in the World, which is when the, the, the concept of the wiki was first introduced. The guy who talked about it said this would mean that any fool in the world could edit the encyclopedia. And I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Um, do we have a prospective date when it's going to re- release? It'll We're be still- sometime next year. I've just, some of the people have, have taken a while to speak with me and mm-hmm. there's a few more sort of interviews coming through right at the very end of the process. So fingers crossed it's it's all done in the next couple of months and uh, should be out sometime next year. Amazing. We're all looking forward to it. It sounds like a, it sounds like a fantastic read. So thank you again, Richard, for joining us on Down Round. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Thank guys. It's a pleasure. If you're listening to this, did you know there's another world out there where you get a second episode of Downround a week? Yep, it's called Downround Premium. That's right, and there's no interruptions. No interruptions, no ads, two episodes a week, including the free one you're getting right now, plus another one. Yep, seven bucks a month, not a week, a month, downround.net. Downround.net, instant access to the whole back catalogue as well. You've got so much to catch up on. There's so much. Get around it. Mm. (laughs) Mmm.